Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. We want to take you away from everything else. You're not thinking about anything. You're not checking your phone. We try to get you out of there so that you get exactly what you would anticipate what would happen, right? So when a beat hits, when a drop comes down, when there's a breakdown and something magical is happening on stage we want all of a sudden that whole representation of what you're hearing musically to come right through your eyes at the same time understanding just the biology of how your eye works and how your body responses to things knowing that we're going to let your pupils get wide open and then that gives us an opportunity to maybe crack you with some strobes real quick and that's going to get your head pushed back and then we'll be real nice to you and we'll soften the lights up and you know, we'll take you through the breakdown and then we're going to build you back up. So it's almost like being at an amusement park and we're putting you on a roller coaster and we're taking you on a ride. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Steve, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I came across uh, your story by way of your publicist. And when he showed me the work that you do in lighting design, I had sort of like a, a you know visual orgasm almost. I was like, wow, this is mind boggling. And, uh, but before we get into all of that, I want to ask you, what is one of the most important things that one or both of your parents taught you growing up, um, that have influenced and shaped who you've become and what you've done with your life? That's a great question. You know, I remember getting out of college actually, and talking to my dad because I had these, these grand plans initially while in school that I was going to go to law school. I took the LSATs and I was on my way to filling out uh, law school applications. And then I literally just hit the brakes on that and decided to move to New York City uh, to work in nightclubs. Uh, but I remember, you know, when my dad said, you know, just you're going to make this decision, you're going to go over there, just absorb everything that you can and just really take in as much information, learn from everyone you can, good, bad, and otherwise, because mm -hmm. you're never going to stop that process and just be a sponge. So, mm. I mean, that's the best thing you can do. Even now, you know, being in the industry for, you know, 27, 28 years, I still feel like it's, it's a daily learning process and mm. always looking for new ways to kind of uh, widen my perspective and yeah. increase my knowledge and just bring in inf more information. Yeah. What about your mother? Uh, similar. You know, like growing up, you know, my parents separated at a young age. So I had two very different perspectives from, from my parents. Um, but my mom was probably a little bit more free spirited, which maybe lends more to the creative side of the things that I do. And my father's perspective lends more to the business side of what I do. So, mm -hmm. you know, my mother, I, I can't really recall any distinct, you know, life lessons like 
son, you must do X, Y, Z, but it was more just a very creative, loving uh, environment where it was express yourself. Mm. So, I mean, this is such a uh, radical shift to go from, you know, taking the LSAT and heading to law school to say, hey, I'm going to go to New York City and work in nightclubs, you know, right. and, you know end up doing what you do. Uh, you know, it's funny because I think that this is one of the common patterns I found in nearly every single person I've ever interviewed. And that is that people who have interesting careers and interesting lives rarely follow a straight and narrow path. And yet, you know, when you go into something so uncertain, I, I wonder beyond what your dad said, like, did your parents have career advice growing up? Or did they, you know, say, okay, you know, this is potentially going to be really unstable. Like, you know, this is hugely risky. Uh, because my, my guess is you didn't imagine doing what you're doing when you decided to go work in nightclubs, right? Well, uh, yeah, yes and no. Did they give me career advice? Not necessarily. It was um, go to school, go to college, figure it out. It wasn't really... Uh, this should be your path. You should be a professional. You should be a lawyer, doctor, uh, accountant, something like that. Architect. Uh, I didn't get, I didn't really get that, but I've always been, uh, kind of someone who likes to define my own path. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I've, I've worked in nightclubs since I was a kid. Actually, my first job in a nightclub was 1986 or 1987 as a bar back. And from there, you know, just walking into that world, uh, it was quite amazing to me. And I was, I was really fascinated by it. So that's always been a part of my kind of my fabric. Mm -hmm. So even through high school, through college, I've always been involved in nightclubs in some way, shape or form, or, you know, nightlife bars, things like that, where yeah. it was a social hospitality slash business environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that one of the things that's interesting uh, about what you said is that you've always been a person who uh, likes to define your own path. And one thing that I think happens as we go through life, right, when we get exposed to, you know, advertising, peers, societies, expectations, all of that, that sense of wanting to define your own path starts to get buried under all this other sort of social programming. So I, I wonder, one, how you, you you know resisted all of that, especially as somebody who was on the path to law school. But more importantly, if people have found themselves in that situation, how can they get back on this uh, you know perspective of defining their own path? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I'm not sure that there is a clear answer to that. Uh, for me, it's it's been a lot of good decisions, bad decisions, and just it's you learn it as you go. There was no. Uh, like guidance counselor to take me to where I am right now. This was, I made a lot of decisions based on what felt right, which I'm not sure is great advice to mm -hmm. somebody coming up through the industry, but it's just, you know, when I was doing this, you know, the festival industry, the nightclub industry, they weren't the, you know, the large format uh, kind of behemoths that are in today's culture. Mm-hmm. They were very much sub subculture, you know, underground kind of environment. So it was easier to kind of, you know, slither into that. So that's where I ended up. And I just made decisions like, hey, I want to work lights in a nightclub. I want to do this. You know, I want to do design work. I want to do festivals. And I just pushed my way into those things. It's not like it is today where like uh, DJs are touring, you know, 10 semis full of production and, and going from show to show and doing the, you know, the festival circuit. There was no festival circuit back then for dance music. You know, mm -hmm. there was no 
like supported industry when it came to technical and design staff in nightlife and hospitality. It was you make your own way. So that that's what I did. I made my own way. And, you know, I'd laugh and I've said it multiple times over the years through interviews and conversations with friends and family is that I've capitalized on bad decisions, you know? <laughs> so things that might have seemed like the worst possible decision to make, like, okay, let's not go to law school. And instead let's go get a job in a nightclub in New York and, and make shit for money. Mm-hmm. And uh, that seems like a great choice. Uh, yeah. Actually, no, that's a, that's an absolutely terrible choice uh, that I was able to capitalize on many years later. Do you have children? I do. I have two. Okay. As somebody who does this for a living, what is your way of giving them career advice been, depending on you know how old they are? How has this informed you as a parent? Because this is not a normal, you know, you're not a normal dad, like a dad who goes and does, you know, festivals and does the lighting for places where, you know, the tagline of like all the raves I went to when I was at Berkeley was, oh, it's about the music, not the drugs. And everybody was, of right. course, on drugs. So I wonder <laughs> as a parent how you think about all this. Well, you know, uh, it, that's an interesting, interesting question. And it's an interesting perspective. So first of all, you know, my wife, uh, she is an educator. Uh, she has a master's in education from NYU. Uh, we went to school together at the University of Arizona. So on the maternal side of things, uh, education is very, very important in my household. And both of my kids uh, are excellent students and they have a good head on their shoulders. And on the other side of things with me, um, they get to see what it's like to own and operate your own business. And, you know, they also understand how hard we work in order to have success and to be able to provide. So they get a unique perspective. And again, you know, like everybody's paradigm is their own, right? You know, your environment is your environment. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily in line with what somebody else does. So whilst the, you know, the kid next door's dad might be a state farm insurance agent, you know, and their dad is, you know, just finished rolling loud last night and comes home from a show. um, We also live in Los Angeles where uh, things are a little bit more skewed into the entertainment world as well, or anywhere in like an A market, whether you're in New York, San Fran, Los Angeles, uh, Chicago, Miami, you're going to be around uh, people who work in the creatives Mm -hmm. and in the arts. So I think it's not as obtuse as it would be if they were in, you know, uh, maybe a city more in the, in the Midwest that doesn't have uh, like entertainment as a substantial portion of, like a, you know, industry that supports local businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that you brought up something really interesting when you said, you know, going to uh, New York and working in a nightclub and making shit for money was your ability to capitalize on a bad decision. And, you know, I, I think that in a lot of ways, I could say the same about my career, because I always say, if you tried to reverse engineer how I have ended up here, and it's like, yeah, go get fired from every job, move back to your parents <laughs> after graduating <laughs> there for eight years and pray that an editor at Penguin finds something you wrote online that's how you get a book deal. I was like, no, that's the worst advice ever. Nobody should follow that advice. Uh, and so, but part of why I brought that up is I wonder, you know, about dealing with money when you're doing such an uncertain thing. Cause I remember talking to my friend, Stephen Kotler, and, you know, we were talking about building a creative career. And he said, you know, there's sort of three fail points for a creative. And he said, the first one really is poverty. He said, you know, most people just simply cannot take the, you know, constantly struggling for money after a certain point though, like, I just, you know what, I, I can't do this anymore. And I wonder how you navigated that, um, in your own career. 
Well, in the early years when I lived in New York, it it was pretty hard. Uh, fortunately, you know, I'd lived with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. Uh, she had a job, but she was a school teacher, and I was doing whatever I could to work wherever I could. So, doing shifts in nightclubs for two to three hundred dollars a night, but you only get one or two of those a week. If that didn't happen or something else transpired where you couldn't make it there, you know, I had a couple clubs that paid me like $150 a week just to show up, you know, when I was around to just come be inside the club during the day and touch things and just make sure things were working. Mm -hmm. It was hard. I was pounding the phone and doing whatever I could to, to make ends meet. You know, when I started my business, I'd literally, you know, people say you go knock on doors. I literally was knocking on doors. I had a backpack and rollerblades and I would skate around the city and I lived in the village back then. So for any listeners that, that live in New York or familiar, I lived on Bleecker Street between McDougal and Third. And uh, that's like right in the, that's right in the village on the West side mm-hmm. and NYU. Uh, there's a lot of nightclubs and bars all over the place. I literally just went and knocked on the door of like Cafe Wa, which was a, is a very famous venue where all sorts of people from the 50s, 60s, 70s have all performed in there. I knocked mm-hmm. on the door and said, hey, you need light bulbs, you need gels, you need me to fix anything, you want me to program your controller. I was like, I live in the building next door. And then, and I did that from, from door to door all around my neighborhood. And I was able to pick up, you know, a couple bucks here and there, but I would literally skate 40 blocks up into Midtown to go buy light bulbs for, for a bar or a club yeah. to maybe make a $30 profit. If I'd landed on my ass, on, on my skates, I just blew up $400 worth of light bulbs and I was shit out of luck. Wow. So we know a lot of you have been listening to us for years and it means the world to us. What we do here at The Unmistakable Creative wouldn't be possible without the support of our listeners. If the podcast has been valuable to you, one of the best ways you can support us is to subscribe to Unmistakable Creative Prime, which gives you access to transcripts, all of our courses, monthly coaching calls, live chats with our guests, and an incredible community of creatives. And it costs less than you spend on a cup of coffee every month. For the school teachers and people in our education system, Prime is completely free to help you with this transition to teaching online. We've packed it with a ton of value and actionable content, and we hope you'll check it out. Just go to unmistakablecreative.com slash prime to learn more. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash prime. I think that to me, this is a story about work ethic and persistence. And what I've always wondered about that is, is this sort of nature or nurture? Do you think somebody can develop this? Because Part of me thinks that if you really, really want something, then you will have a very different work ethic towards it. Because I I noticed that when I started doing what I do now, my entire attitude towards it was very different than it was in jobs that I just hated, you know, and I realized I was like, wow, wait a minute, I take this seriously, I show up the way I probably should have at a job if I wanted to be successful. Right. Well, um, they say if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Right. Yeah. Don't they say that? Sure. Um, and then I've also been told there's three things you can have in life when it comes to working, you could have a job, you could have a career or you could have a calling. And if you're blessed enough to get the latter of all those, a mm-hmm. calling, then you really are one of the lucky few that gets to do something uh, on the day to day that I would say you really enjoy most of the time. Hmm. 
Yeah. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said most of the time, right? You, because I think that we, we take that whole idea of, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work in a day, a day in your life. And I think people interpret that to mean that there will be no suffering in that. No, of course not. Yeah. That, that would be ignorant to think that there's no suffering. And at the end of the day, when, when you look back on your career, on your life and the decisions you've made, good, bad, and everything else that's impacted, um, there should be some sort of wake and trail behind you, right? You know, you should have done things to kind of shift the system and to make moves and create impact. Sometimes it's good and sometimes maybe it's not so good. And then you look back and go, well, that was a good decision. Well, shit, I'm sorry I did that. Wish I could take it back. I can't. Moving on, right? Mm-hmm. So there's pain and suffering in there. There's, there's joy and elation in there and everything in between. Yeah. Well, I think that that whole idea of impact and, you know, moving the system really is, is a perfect segue into your actual work. Because I think, you know, when I when I saw just looking at the portfolio on your website and then, you know, listening to, to how you got started, what in the world is the process of starting so small that you're basically programming, you know, uh, whatever those things are called inside a nightclub to where you're putting on these like massive spectacles? Because, you know, I... I have, I think what really intrigued me um, was this whole idea of light in general, because I think there's something fascinating about light and how we respond to it. Uh, you, know, you may have seen it. There's a guy, a Chinese pyrotechnics artist named Saigo Chang. There's a documentary about him on Netflix called Skyladder. And I remember looking at that thinking, how in the world is somebody doing that with pyrotechnics? And that was kind of the same reaction I had to your work, which is why I wanted to actually have you as a guest. Uh, but I wonder like, what is the process of going from what you were doing before? Like, how do you start to do these crazier and bigger things? And what is the creative process behind this? Well, it didn't just start out where it is now. Um, partly because the industry didn't support it. You know, we started out with a few lights and a controller or, you know, and it was small and the shows grew bigger as the audience grew bigger. And as these festivals grew. That's when we just kind of went exponentially with it. Mm-hmm. It was a learning curve. Yeah. Um, I, I'm self-taught in this industry. It was long before you can go and learn any of those things. There wasn't a lot of, there were really no classes. And anything that was related to lighting or production design was typically either towards, you know, the professional world, quote unquote, like television, theater, uh, and then even rock and roll was kind of, you know, a little bit of voodoo, but the dance music and, and the rave culture, we were literally looked at as, you know, the bottom of your shoe. Mm. And we were laughed at, like, why would you work in this industry? It's just nothing but misfits and criminals. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but I've always been here because I was passionate about it. I, you know, I'd like, I love dance music and I've worked in nightclubs my whole life. And this is where I wanted to be. It just so happens that it turned into something tremendous. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I wouldn't even call it timing. It was just, you know, something you're passionate about. It's like almost like hitting the lottery, right? Yeah. Well, I think you're such a demonstration of the the fact that it even, you know, takes 10 years to get to that. You know, it's the 10 year overnight success cliche. Um, but you know, there's so many things I wonder about when I, when I think about the process of this, you know, you mentioned that it didn't start out this way and you know, like, I can't help but think about, uh, and I'm sure you probably know of this, the Daft Punk performance at Coachella. 
that yep. ended up viral on YouTube. And I remember reading because we included that story in my latest book. And, you know, they basically took all the money from, you know, whoever paid them to be there and they dumped it into the actual show. They're like, we don't need the money. We're just going to make this like this crazy spectacle. And, it, you know, if you, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, just look it up on YouTube. It'll blow your mind. But I guess the thing that I really wonder, there are two things that I, I wonder about. First, what is it about light that has the impact on us that it does? Like, why do we respond this way to light in particular, like from a psychological standpoint? Like, you know, we go in, so tonight, for example, my my dad is taking us to some park in Pasadena where apparently these gardens are lit up really beautifully. And lots of gardens. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, we have to go see this. And my sister had been raving about it. Um, and so, and it made me, you know, in talking to you, I just kind of wonder, like, what is it about light that has us react the way that we do to it? And wh- why is it that we can change lighting to create, you know, atmosphere and, and actually impact emotion? Well, I think, you know, when it comes to music, uh, the lighting really kind of creates this ethereal, very organic emotion and emotive response, right? So it's meant to, at least for us, when you know when we're doing shows and we're designing environments, it's meant to enhance the experience and bring it all together as one cohesive element. So it's it's there to create a response. So when something changes musically, orally, um, we need that to be represented visually. So those big moments, we want to give you that big moment that all of a sudden makes you feel like you're in this immersive environment and you are what we train, we basically transport you off the ground and into our world. And that's really what these shows are. You know, one of the guidelines for us when we're designing that we really want to push you into that. Like we want to take you away from everything else. You're not thinking about anything. You're not checking your phone unless you have it out and you're recording. Um, (laughs) we, We try to get you out of there so that, you get exactly what you would anticipate what would happen, right? So when a beat hits, when a drop comes down, when there's a breakdown and something magical is happening on stage, we want all of a sudden that whole representation, you know, the visual representation of what you're hearing musically to, to come right through your eyes. At the same time, you know, there's other tricks that we want to do, like when we want to hit you or we want to be nice to you, you know, understanding just the biology of, of how your eye works and, and how your body responses to things, knowing that we're going to, you know, let your pupils get wide open. And then that gives us an opportunity to maybe crack you with some strobes real quick. And that's going to create, you know, that next snap a little bit, get your head pushed back and then we'll be real nice to you and we'll soften the lights up and, you know, we'll take you through the breakdown and then we're going to build you back up. So it's almost like being at an amusement park and we're putting you on a roller coaster and we're taking you on a ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so just out of curiosity, I mean, it's been years since I've been to raves, but are drugs still highly prevalent in this environment? And as somebody who does this, what is your view on all that? Um, you know, if for me, that would be speculation. I would speculate that, that there is at any show, whether it's a rave or a concert, right. um, wherever you are, you know, people are doing something. They're either drinking, smoking pot or doing something else. So right. I don't think that it's necessarily um, specific towards raves. I think right. it's anytime people go out into an environment, they are doing something that's altering mind, body, or otherwise. Uh-huh. Now you don't, do you do just electronic or do you do concerts as well? Uh, you know, um, I have over the years, mm-hmm. I just prefer dance music. So, uh, you know, I've spent my life 
working in nightclubs and doing dance music events. And I just enjoy it. I love techno. I love house music. I just, I like being able to do the more creative uh, stage designs and performances. Yeah. Whereas if you do, you know, more traditional stuff, Mm -hmm. the designs are more traditional. So designs tend to represent uh, what the musical style and genre is. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I asked that is because we we had a guest here, uh, a guy named David Frangioni, who's worked with uh, you know Aerosmith and Shakira and Sting. Like these have been his clients for like the last forty years. And I was asking right. him, you know, I said, what goes into one of these? He said, you know, you get to see a two hour performance. What you don't see is the eighteen hours of work the crew puts in before to entertain you for two hours. And he said, and right. you know, basically, and that's why I wanted to talk to you about the process of this because I was so fascinated by how this all comes together. So when somebody comes to you and says, all right, Steve, we want you to do, you know. Uh, our upcoming show, let's say that, you know, for example, let's just use Daft Punk as an example, since we were talking okay. about that. Daft Punk comes to you and says, all right, Steve, um, we want you to do our next concert. Uh, how does this begin? Like, where do you even start? Like, what, you know, what is the, what does the cutting room floor look like when we, before we see anything? Well, we start with concepts and ideas and, and I'm hopeful that the artists that we're talking to, uh, whether it's the artists themselves or their team, uh, has some sort of, uh, imagery or, idea of what they want their show to be. Uh, if mm-hmm. not, you know, we throw ideas out there and we start, I, I like to start at the, the most basic rudimentary levels, like a sketch, um, mm-hmm. a picture, uh, an idea, a thought, a song, something. Yeah. And then we start with a sketch and then you develop it, you know, okay, we have something there. Let's move it forward a little bit further. Yeah. And you basically push and push and push uh, from paper then to maybe like sketching on a tablet to then finally getting an idea that can be represented uh, with real uh, items, uh, whether it's custom fabrication or existing production commodities, and you start putting it into CAD and you start developing it. Mm-hmm. So the thing, the thing that I wonder, right, is, you know, as a, even when I was thinking about sort of Saigo Chang and, and sort of that, all those insane fireworks, my guess is to do what you do also, the production costs have to be off the chart. So there's not a lot of room for error or also, you know, you're kind of hamstrung with your experimentation capabilities. Because I remember that it, you know, even in Skyladder, the guy's like, okay, I'm building a ladder into the sky using pyrotechnics and it took 20 years because every time he attempted it, it failed. And the thing is, it was so costly and time-consuming to produce. So how do you mitigate that aspect of the process when you, you, know, you design in CAD, but it's not like you can go to, or maybe you can, I don't know. But how do you, I guess what I'm asking is, how do you create a minimum viable version of what you do? And also, you know, basically say, okay, you know what, now we know it's going to look exactly how we want it to when we take it to like this huge production. Well, you know, years of experience of design, um, we know what it's going to look like when we're starting because we build things over and over again. And that's all we do in the office. Yeah. Um, th- that's also the great thing with, with the tools that are available as a designer, not just for me, but for all designers, um, and the software that we use, uh, we draw in scale. So mm-hmm. we understand exactly what it looks like and we can also geolocate it on a site plan. Uh, I can, we can do it in 3d, we can render it, we can do fly throughs, we can put people on stage do design studies. So we know what the audience sees, we know what the artist sees, and we understand what it looks like. You know, we can even put it, you know, put a skyline in the background. Yeah. Um, and that's what it takes in order to do that when it, when it comes to managing the budget and things like that. So, you know, like you had asked, you know, how do you mitigate maybe like fiscal responsibilities, mm-hmm. fiscal liabilities rather. Yeah. Um, we know what things cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
fixtures have a, a certain dollar per week, um, whether it's a light, a piece of truss, a motor, a stage deck, uh, and we understand what those are. And the software that we use uh, has uh, bill materials and spreadsheets that we can plug the numbers into. So we keep a running t- tally of what things are costing as we're populating a design with objects. So this is, I guess, for the sake of a specific example, you know, I keep coming back to the Daft Punk thing because that's just the one that I know so well. What? How much time does it take to do something? Because, I mean, it was just for what, like a 15-minute concert at Coachella, if I remember correctly? Uh, so how much time goes into that from somebody like you in order to produce you know, what they did there? Well, I can't speak for the guys who designed it, which I believe that was Martin Phillips. Yeah. Uh, put that one together. Uh, and he did a fantastic job, super talented designer. Um, but some designs uh, we work on for six months or a year. Uh, and then there's other designs like, you know, we banged something out for, uh, for a DJ that we handled last weekend. Uh, I literally did it in a few hours. Mm. Uh, it was a small show though. Um, yeah. and we didn't program it. I just knew that they were playing a, you know, like a, a five or 600 person capacity venue. And I said, uh, here's what you should do that should fit your budget. And we kind of squeezed it in. I didn't even document it. I literally sent them JPEGs because I was running out the door. I go, I'm going to send you something real quick. This is yeah. what you want to do. So it depends on the circumstance and the show that you're doing uh, mm-hmm. for something like the Daft Punk environment, I'm going to guess they spent a couple months on it, just designing and developing it. And then, you know, you were mentioning your, you know, your previous interview on another podcast, you know, he mentioned the 18 hours. That's just to put it in. That doesn't Mm -hmm. include all the other work that goes in. So yeah, yeah, it could have been 18 hours for them to put the show into the arena. Uh uh, But you have a couple months of design before that. And then you have, you know, probably a couple days minimum of prep with your vendors. So Uh video screens, lighting, truss, motors, and all the other, you know, pieces of the puzzle that go together all have to get prepped uh, in a shop, labeled and tested, and then loaded into a truck and then driven to the environment. There's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts to getting a show produced. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. Well, I mean, now, now I understand why you said your task list is 25 items long, which right. made me want to, there are a couple of things I wonder about how you manage the process of, of actually taking things from idea to execution, not just in term, you know, not just creatively, but, you know, since you mentioned all that, like productively, because it sounds to me, like you have to manage an army of people um, and have tremendous attention to detail without losing your mind and yet maintain this sort of bigger picture. It seems like almost being like a, a you know film producer in a lot of ways. Uh, and so I wonder how you navigate that. And then also, you know, in terms of I'm still how, figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how you work with a, a team, like how many people does this all take? And then uh, you know, one of the things I wonder is, as you know, you mentioned that you were self-taught. And I wonder, like, are there formal training programs for this? Like, what is the role of skill and talent? Do people, you know, progressively get better? And what, is, what does practice look like for something like this? Like, how would you take the concept of deliberate practice and incorporate it into the work you do? And I realize these are all bizarre questions. It's just that I'm so intrigued because I, I don't think I've had anybody who does what you do before. Right. Well, you know, I mean, what I personally do is a very wide gamut of of details. But if you want to work in this industry, at a minimum, um, as a designer, you need to have not only be a creative person and understand what that takes to put a show together, uh, you also have to have the skill set to support software. Mm -hmm. So some sort of design software, and it's obviously better if you use industry standard items, so that if you want to play in the sandbox with others, uh, you're not using some obtuse piece of software that nobody else has ever heard of. Mm -hmm. So in our office, you know, we use Vectorworks, AutoCAD, Revit, Cinema 4D, uh, After Effects, SketchUp, um, and WYSIWYG, and, and all sorts of other items, whatever it takes to, to, to get things put together. Mm -hmm. And if you know how to use those, at least you have the tools in your, to in your toolbox, no. right? It's like, as a contractor, you can't show up to a job site uh, with, you know, empty handed. Mm -hmm. You you need something to actually apply your trade. So if you want to be in the trade, you need the right tools. 
Yeah. Well, so we talked about tools. Let's talk about skill and skill development in particular, because uh, like I said, I, I wonder, you know, how, what does practice for something like this look like? Do you go and, you know, kind of look at shows and try to recreate things in, in you know, your design software? Uh, you know, how do you, and are there people who just can't hack it because they don't have the skill? Well, that, that's a good question. I don't know that like we go out and practice, you know, sometimes like I'll exercise my staff a little bit on a console, you know, things that I know how to do. Mm-hmm. I'll just make them do it just to give them some exercise. Like, Hey, I want you to have this skill. So do this and I'll be back or do this and I'll stand over your shoulder. You know, um, when efficiency of time is critical yeah. and I might be able to get it done faster you know, obviously I move them out of the way, or if I can't do it faster and one of my guys can do it faster, they'll move me out of the way. And that's okay too. Yeah. Um, but as far as practice, um, and, and understanding what it takes to quote unquote hack it, um, you know, this is design work. It's subjective. Yeah. You know, so that's the other part of running a business based on creative and and putting your designs out there is (laughs) judged by every fucking asshole in the world. Yeah. Part of my French, yeah. um, which as a designer, uh, if you can't handle that, that's when you really can't hack it yeah. because one person's going to love it and one person's going to hate it. Yeah. Well, and it, that's yeah. just the, that's just a fact of life. Somebody's going to, somebody who has no skills in this business and has never designed a thing in their life is going to pass judgment on your work. Uh-huh. And you need to be able to swallow that pill. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's, it's funny because you, you have to learn to discern who's worth listening to and who's not. And there are a hell of a lot of people who are not worth listening to. Right. But it could be the person who's paying your bills too, yeah. though, who, who's contracted the service and you think you hit a home run and you deliver a drawing and they give you, eh, it's not really what we were looking for. Uh huh. And you, and then you swallow real hard and you go, okay, well, let's discuss this. Let's figure out where we got to go. Yeah. You know, instead of just kind of licking your wounds and going, you know, and wiping your tears away, you just kind of, you know, you develop a thick skin and, uh, and you hit it again. So the thing is, one of the things I, I, I realized, even when you're dealing with something with like a thousand moving parts, right, there's so many interdependencies where if somebody screws something up, it has like a domino effect almost. Uh, yeah, of course. How do you, how do you navigate the complexity of something like that from a, just an overall, like, you know, managing information standpoint? How do you, because, you know, what happens if, you know, somebody does something, you know, literally hours before you discover something that could be detrimental to the entire thing? How do you navigate something like that? Well, you hire people you trust. Um, you surround yourself with qualified professionals. Uh, you do your best to, you know, we're going to repeat ourselves here, mitigate our liabilities, mm-hmm. right? So does do things happen? Yeah, of course they do. And that really is the measure of someone in the industry, not when things are great and going smoothly, but when things go south, that's what measures your level of competence and your ability to behave as a professional. How do you navigate through that? Yeah. Right. So if you could come out of the other side, you know, still breathing and you got the show on, it might not have been a hundred percent, but you fought till the end. Then I have a lot of respect for you. Mm-hmm. If you went home and you threw your hands up in the air, well, you're probably not going to see me on another show again, because I'm not going to hire you again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, uh, what misperceptions, like, what are the misperceptions do you think we have about the people who work in this industry and what types of people are, are you generally coming to this? Is it people that are coming out of design schools or is it people who've been partying in nightclubs their whole lives? I, I think nowadays it's design school people, um, because, 
because this industry is no longer sub, uh, you know, part of the subculture, it's really a mainstream item. It's, you know, it's in our face on the day to day and social media has really given exposure to, you know, the, the darkest back rooms of the world, um, and places that people would never have the opportunity to get to, uh, but they can still see it and it could be something that they could look at and examine every day. I think, um, design students, I mean, I get contacted by architecture and engineer students and, you know, lighting designers and, you know, all sorts of people who have an interest in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, 20 years ago, it, that's, it was probably the alternate. It was, um, it wasn't a lot of college educated, uh, individuals working in this. It was, uh, touring people and, you know, they were interested in production and things like that, but they, they didn't go to school for any design elements. Yeah. So that makes me wonder, uh, you know, you've been at this for such a long time and typically these environments are with people who are the age that you were when you started. And I, I wonder how your own perception of the environment has changed with age. Is it different now than it was then? Because look, it's funny because as a 41 year old, the last thing on earth I feel like doing most days, like if a friend invites me to a nightclub on a Friday night, I'm like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. I won't be right. able to hear you. You're going to be yelling at me. You know, like I would never take a date to a nightclub or even think it would be right. a good place to meet a woman. Uh, but I did when I was in my 20s. And so I wonder what your own perception of the environment and the experience has, how, how that has changed with age. Yeah, you, you won't see me in a nightclub on the weekends. I love building them. Yeah. Um, I am very close with, the industry and the and my clients, most of my clients are my friends also. So we've all worked in this together. And I would say even on their nights off, they're not hanging out in a club. If you see me in a club, chances are um, I'm being compensated mm-hmm. for my time yeah. or there's something really special going on, mm-hmm. right? So it might be, you know, uh, in some sort of industry event or uh, one of my closest friend's birthdays. And chances are it's my friend who actually owns the venue that I might show up something like that. But just like, Hey, what are you doing Friday night? Should we go hit the club? Nah, it's probably not going to (laughs) happen. Or it's some music that, you know, I'm not going to hear otherwise. And the timing just works out. And then I still don't stay till the end. I'll go for a couple hours and then I'll leave. Mm, So one last thing I want to ask you about is, is, you know, I'm guessing you you mentioned, you know, sort of back, back rooms all over the world. So I'm guessing you've actually had the opportunity to work all over the world. Uh, what is what is it like across cultures? Like, is it similar? Like, and what are the or if not, you know, what are the differences you've noticed about how you're designing these environments across cultures? Well, I mean, young people who want to go to nightclubs, I think, all have similar interests. You know, there's that they want to be entertained, they want to hear good music, they want to dance, uh, they want to escape reality for a few hours. And I don't think that changes whether you're in um, China or you're in South Africa or you're in Paris, France. Um, I think you'll see cultural differences uh, from style of clothing and just, uh, you know, maybe musical genres and things like that. But I think there's a common sense of the need and the desire to be entertained. And that's why this industry is a global industry. And that's why we can take shows like Electric Daisy Carnival and tour them, you know, to every continent and put on a similar show because people across the world 
have similar interests, even if there's cultural differences on how they're raised. When you put them in that environment, there's, there's something common across that, that has no borders, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, at this point in your life, having done uh, all of this sort of stuff, you know, how do you continue to challenge yourself creatively? Or is there anything that is just so absolutely insane, you know, that you're like, okay, that is sort of the pinnacle of what I've been working towards, like the Skyladder thing. Do you have anything like that in your life? Because I mean, I've, like I said, I've seen what you've done and I'm kind of like, oh, wow. You know, is there something just out of this world that is so challenging to you that you think, okay, if I could do that, that is sort of the next sort of milestone? You know, I try to keep my perspective open uh, when it comes to personal challenges. Um, and it's not always necessarily industry related. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the past five years, um, I started flying aircrafts. So I, I use outside items to keep myself fulfilled and challenged on a daily basis or just, you know, from my own mindset, you know, and I think that influences everything that you do. So if you can find other things to do, that's not, I'm not just always trying to challenge myself with a new design whilst I am, because we have like 70 different things that need to be designed currently. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to look outside of, you know, just whatever's right in front of you. You have to put your head on a swivel and, and, and take notice and observe, you know, whether it's, you know, going outside for a walk or traveling or, you know, doing a leisure activity, play golf, uh, fly airplanes, go surfing, uh, read a book, look at Pinterest, you know, and be observant. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing any of these things, when you observe at a forensic level, when you observe the details of things is I think what's going to impact your ideas and um, inspirations to do something else and to move things forward. So on design, you know, I might have an idea, you know, I remember traveling through Europe with my wife and, you know, just looking at architecture in Rome. And I was like, Oh, that could be a good feature for a stage or this DJ booth that I wanted to do. And just little things like that. And sometimes it might impact a design idea for work. And sometimes it might just design a cool idea, you know, uh, impact a cool idea that is not related to anything. Um, at the same time, like even yesterday I was on site at rolling loud and I was talking to the, uh, to the two, to the two main partners of rolling loud, because we were working on uh, some other stage ideas. And I just took out my phone real quick and we were, you know, with a design app and we were just scribbling ideas right there while walking around, you know, the job site there, just like, Oh, I have an idea. Oh, you know, it's just, it's interaction. It's a day to day interaction with different people, with your environment, you know, with your hobbies, with your loved ones. And I think that's what's going to keep you on top of what's next. You know, as far as like doing a sky ladder or something like that, uh, maybe one day I'll have some sort of ambitious concept that drives me insane until I fulfill it. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's uh, that I don't have a sky ladder. I don't have a sky ladder of my own right now. Yeah. Uh, in January, I'd like to fish, finish my uh, my commercial rating for my pilot's license. That's that's my next immediate goal. Very cool. 
Well, this has been fascinating. Uh, like I said, I, I think that I was so intrigued by you know everything that you do, just because it was such a, a different way of making art that you know I've never really talked to anybody who does what you do, and uh, I was just blown away by it. Um, so I want to finish with my final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. Right. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Well, I'm going to go back to uh, one of your previous questions when we were talking about uh, decisions and training and things like that. I think it's a life lived bold, right? Uh, you make decisions and you stand by them and, uh, you make impact and you leave a mark wherever you go. I think that's, what's going to make it unmistakable. So you, you don't want to just go through and just take the smooth road. You know, sometimes you have to go off the beaten path to trailblaze your own way and you're going to break some branches along the way. You're going to lose a shoe in the mud. And that's at the end of that trail, that's going to be the story that you have to tell. Nobody tells the story about how they just went down that new paved road and they didn't hit a single bump. Hmm. And then they got to their destination and all's fine. And there's nothing to talk about. Yeah. You know, you have the story when you get to the end of the road and you go, wow, this is one. Uh, this is one for the books for sure. And we'll talk about this for years to come. Mm. And that's what makes it unmistakable. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, um, and, uh, your insights with the listeners. Honored that you uh, that you had us on the show and uh, and it was a great conversation and the, the questions were refreshing. Mm. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Actually, where can people find out more about your work? Uh, well, we have a website. You can go to sjlighting.net. Uh, and then we're on, you know, the typical social media channels. Uh, so SJ lighting on Instagram and, um, that's mostly business stuff. And every once in a while, you'll, you know, we'll post something goofy and, uh, you know, and all our, all of our stuff is just open wide public. Anybody can look at it. Cool. And, you know, we have a Facebook page. I don't put as much up there. Uh, Instagram, at least, you know, you can get the instant gratification of just seeing a picture, mm -hmm. uh, with a, with a brief description and, uh, and otherwise, come to a show. If you really want to get it, um, it don't stare at that little four-inch device in your hand. Uh, get your ass off your couch and, uh, and come to an event. And that's when you really get in the middle of it. And, uh, and I assure you, it'll be life-changing if you haven't done it before. Mm. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Hey, did you know that every Sunday, our community manager, Milena, sends out 10 key takeaways from episodes just like this one? All you have to do to receive it is sign up for our newsletter. Just visit unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter, and you'll get them delivered right to your inbox. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.